1: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show Podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
2: Well, good afternoon, and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. James Blend is producing. Today we're going to talk with Matt Staver. He's the founder and chairman of Liberty Council. We'll talk about a California bill that would censor the counseling for adults. Who uh, are, are looking for help uh, with uh, unwanted same-sex attraction? We're also going to talk with uh, Todd Nettleton. He's a contributor to Wormbrand, Tortured for Christ: The Complete Story, and it covers the uh, the complete story of uh, Sabina and um, my mind has just gone blank. Anyway, the worm Brands who uh, suffered persecution for many, many years in Romania. Todd Nettleton is the Chief of Media Relations and Message Integration for The Voice of the Martyrs, and he's the host of The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. He serves as a voice for persecuted believers, working with media and telling people here in this country about the faithfulness of Christ's followers in more than 60 nations where they face uh, persecution. He's also part of a writing team for four Voice of the Martyrs books, including the best-selling Extreme Devote- Ocean, and 2007's Fox, Voice of the Martyrs, it's F-O-X-E. He was the principal writer for the Voice of the Martyrs uh, book uh, about church, uh, the church in North Korea and restricted nations North Korea. Uh, anyway, he's going to join us to talk about... Um about that new book and the film uh, that's, uh, that's out now by the same name. We're also going to talk with uh, Tammy Jada. She's an administrator with uh, Northwest Heritage Academy and Blueberry House uh, Tutoring, uh, which uh, the, her- the Northwest Heritage Academy grew out of Blueberry House Tutoring. It's really quite a fascinating story. We're going to talk with her about that when she joins us. Also, they are offering at um, Northwest Heritage Academy and Blueberry House, they're offering some tuition discounts. So check that out. Out at listenersavings.com as we are um, winding down on the the offers of tuition discounts. So if you've been thinking about uh, trying to put your grandchildren, your sons or daughters in private Christian school, this is a great opportunity to look at what's available to uh, uh, reduce those costs by up to 40% in some cases. So uh, keep that into account. Well, this was a, a rather interesting weekend while much of the church was focusing on Palm Sunday and rightly so. Uh, putting into perhaps context everything else that's going on in the world. We are reminded that um, sin is in the world and it impacts virtually everything from creation right on uh, down or up, depending on your uh, your perspective. Um, much of the headline had to do with what was for uh, CBS's 60 Minutes, a top rating a televisions program in that uh, the Trump accuser, Stormy, I guess is the name she goes by, uh, was on their 60 Minutes program, and they reached a decade-high um, rating at $22 million. And so that tells you we're going to hear more about this uh, in the days to come. Uh, there will be more evidence. We were told um, she was sent a, sense, a, a cease and desist letter. Um, And there were flashbacks in other media of how the Clinton Lewinsky was uh, covered at that time. Not that there's necessarily a a comparison, but we were told that there was nothing more than uh, this was a consensual relationship and therefore there's nothing to see here. The New York Times at that time said uh, publicly humiliating anyone for consensual adultery is draconian and wrong. My, how things have uh, shifted. Uh, Crowley said, do voters care? Not really. Depressing interview. Uh, Anyway, it's interesting to see how the... uh, how the the focus has changed on the one hand the democrats and those on the left were suggesting hey this there's nothing to see here it's just uh, this is just what happens uh, between consenting adults and those on the right were just incredulous and outraged at what the uh, president was uh, guilty of doing at that time and we're talking about bill clinton uh, now that seems to be shifted the outrage on the left is that uh, you know there's something salacious that that uh, needs to be linked to something else here it's worth Uh, The time and and, uh, attention and that public humiliation is precisely what rules the day, while those on the right are uh, perhaps less critical than they were in the Bill Clinton years. A lack of consistency uh, throughout, but an interesting observation straddling the two events. In any event, CBS's stormy sit down had 60 minutes at a decade high, 22 million uh, viewers. Again, uh, that tells us a great deal about what we can expect in the days ahead. Um, meanwhile, incoming National Security Advisor John Bolton defended himself Sunday after Hillary Clinton's former vice presidential running mate questioned whether he would be able to obtain the necessary security clearance over a video speech given to a Russian pro gun rights group in 2013. On Saturday, uh, Senator Tim Kaine—I almost forgot that he was Hillary Clinton's running mate— anyway, he tweeted out a national public radio report about the group Bolton spoke to, known as the Right to Bear Arms. The NPR report described one of the uh, group's founders— Alexander uh, Torsion as an ally of Russian President Putin, who served as the deputy speaker of Russia's parliament for more than 10 years. On Sunday, a spokesman for Bolton responded. The ambassador, Bolton, uh, was asked by former National Rifle Association President Dave Keene to record a video for presentation to the upper house of the Russian parliament. The Federation Council, the ambassador, was never heard of, has never heard of the right to bear arms until recent news coverage of the group. So, an attempt to link him to um, Russia and perhaps disqualify him from serving. Service. Also, we learned that Remington is out of ammunition. The firearms manufacturer, Remington Outdoor Company, has filed for bankruptcy protection in the face of falling sales and lawsuits stemming from the 2012 Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. The Wall Street Journal reported uh, Sunday night, according to the uh, Journal, Remington announced that it would file Chapter 11 last month, but the actual filing was delayed after the February 14th shooting at uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland that killed 17 people. The paper reported that Remington officials plan to hand over the reins to its creditors in exchange for writing off most of the company's debt. Uh, that story uh, continuing to develop. And Facebook co-founder is trying to uh, make up with his friends. Facebook co-founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg took out full-page advertisements in major U.S. and British newspapers to apologize for a breach in trust. I mean, there's something ironic about it. The, the high-tech guys going to the, uh, uh, the dying uh, old lady of the a newspaper to uh, issue an apology after it was discovered that Cambridge Analytica improperly harvested user data. And now there are questions being raised about uh, the favors that were given to the Obama administration by Facebook that may have crossed some significant lines as well. So the ads which were taken out in papers, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, UK's Observer, the Sunday Times, the Sunday Telegraph, they featured a signed apology from Zuckerberg and an explanation of what the social media giant was doing to fix this. Situation: Their privacy practices came under fire, of course, after accusations emerged that Cambridge Analytica, which is a political consulting firm affiliated with the Trump campaign in 2016, inappropriately obtained and then used uh, data for political purposes. Uh, we'll talk more about the FTC that is uh, sitting down with Facebook on that very uh, uh, that very score. Fifteen minutes after four o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: 21 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Later this hour, we'll talk with Matt Staver. He's the founder and chairman of Liberty Council. We'll talk about a bill in California that would censor counseling for adults, similar to what has already been done in California to censor counseling available uh, to those underage. Well, this weekend, of course, was the the March for Our Lives, and there were vulgar presentations. There were brilliant presentations. Naomi Wadler, an eleven year old black girl, gave uh, one of the most profound speeches of the day, and it was uh, it was interesting to see the the uh, the different kinds of signs. Some were obnoxious, some were poignant, uh, but I suppose you would expect that in this sort of an event. But enough in is enough. Took place here in the Portland area. There were demonstrators who marched. Uh, from downtown to Pioneer Courthouse Square, uh, calling for an end to gun violence and for action to prevent mass shootings in schools. Portland was one of hundreds of cities across the country holding a March for Our Lives rally on Saturday. It was part of the national student-led demonstration that in some places was co-opted by adults, but I suppose that's necessary in order to pull something like this off. Portland police estimated here in the Portland area there were 12,000 people in attendance. The rally concluded with a concert from Grammy Award-winning Portland band uh, Quill the man and, um, the event uh, was peacefully carried out here. Well, look, America continues to mourn the 17 people killed in the mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida last month. There is an understandable emotional desire to do something in response, but without evaluating what that something will actually accomplish. This is uh, the one driving force behind the March for Our Lives taking place Saturday in Washington. Many of the young people are calling for solutions, and rightly so, but it is left to the adults to come up with what are not just... Just um, uh, good sounding uh, actions, but actual solutions. John Lott writing uh, on the subject says the motivations of many people taking part in the Washington event and other demonstrations around the country, like here in Portland, are sincere. But before we do something, we need to stop and think what is the most sensible thing we should do? What will actually save lives and make us safer? And that's the harder point. It's important to understand that the debate isn't between those who want to end violence and those who support gun rights. Both sides want to end violence. Violence. The debate is simply over how best to keep America safe, keep Americans safe, and particularly children. Supporting gun control is now the in-thing. Uh, stars such as Taylor Swift and Miley Cyrus tweet their support. Time and Team Vogue magazine run cover stories glorifying people working to put stricter controls on guns and ban some weapons. The New England Patriots use their team plane to fly students and families from Parkland, Florida, to Washington for Saturday's gun control rally. And you would be unlikely to know... It from the media coverage of the Washington demonstration, but only forty-seven percent of Americans between thirteen and seventeen believe that more gun control could, in fact, reduce uh, mass public shootings. So there's a variety of opinions, and one would hope that the uh, conversation and debate would, um, would center on real solutions uh, taken up by mature individuals who have the power to make real changes. Britain's Guardian newspaper asked students at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School for their ideas on how to end violence. The ideas sound good at first glance and certainly are well-meaning, but in reality, the policies being proposed will either have no effect or perhaps cause some harm. Now, here are four of those ideas, again, that were prevented, uh, presented rather, by John Lott. The first was to ban semi-automatic weapons that fire high-velocity rounds. Now, that sounds perfectly reasonable when you consider the damage they can do in the context of that kind of a, a shooting. But John Lott writes that gun control advocates say semi-automatic rifles are designed to kill people, not for hunting, target practice, or self protection. They say only members of our military need these guns. And again, that sounds reasonable. But he goes on, but looks can be deceiving. An AR 15 rifle shoots the same bullets as a small game hunting rifle. Both guns fire one bullet at a time and with the same velocity. The guns merely look different on the outside. AR 15s may resemble military weapons, but they aren't the same weapons used by uh, soldiers. Semi automatic rifles don't just uh, take lives they also deter criminal attacks and save lives he writes and 95% of defensive uh, gun uses no shots are fired but if you have an o- have to open fire having a semi-automatic weapon means that you uh, won't have to take the time to manually reload the gun this additional time for the uh, victim may make the difference between life and death so how do you balance the self-defense value of these kinds of semi-automatic weapons with the mis- misuse of these semi-automatic weapons he writes that banning all semi automatic guns would endanger lives so gun control advocates find it easier just to call for bans on the more scary looking guns. Then uh, one of the suggestions made uh, require national registration of guns. Again, that sounds reasonable because then at least we can keep track of who uh, has guns and whether or not they are qualified to own them. And he writes that gun control advocates have long claimed that gun registration will help solve crimes. Their reasoning is straightforward. A registered gun left at a crime scene can be used to identify by the criminal. That makes sense. Unfortunately, John Lott suggests it rarely works out that way. Criminals most never leave behind guns that that are registered to them. In the few cases where guns are left at the scene, it's because the criminals uh, were killed or injured, and these guns are virtually never registered to the person that committed the crime. Many are stolen. During the 2013 uh, deposition, the uh, Washington, D.C. police chief said that uh, she would not recall any specific incidents she could not recall where registration records were used to determine who committed a crime. When I testified before the Hawaii State Senate in 20 uh, in two thousand, again John Lott speaking, the Honolulu Chief of Police also stated that he couldn't find any crimes that had been solved due to registration and licensing. The chief also said that his officers uh, spent about 50,000 hours every year on registering and licensing guns, this time is being taken away from traditional time-tested law enforcement activities. Canada and other parts of the U.S. haven't had any uh, better luck. TV shows depict gun registration as an effective crime fighting tool, but this isn't how things work in real life. Uh, Then another suggestion that was made, institute universal background checks and close uh, gun show and secondhand sales loopholes. Now this sounds like a reasonable measure that would help to link those who misuse weapons or uh, attempt to acquire them but aren't qualified from being identified. Well, John Lott points out that these are actually different words for the same thing. Background checks of private transfers of guns is the first policy gun control advocates call for after each mass public shooting. But such background checks would not have prevented a single mass public shooting in this century. In addition, over the years from 2000 to 2015, states that had universal background checks had twice the rate of mass public shootings as those that didn't have that law. Finally, raise the firearm purchase age to 21. Again, John Lott. Let's not forget about the uh, law-abiding uh, young citizens who arm themselves for self-defense. What about the 20-year-old woman who is being stalked by a potential rapist or killer? Research shows that having a gun is by far the most effective way for young women to defend themselves. Of the 64 U.S. mass public shootings since 1998, 10 attacks were carried out by people under the age of 21, five by people who were already too young to legally purchase their gun, and five were, in, were increasing the age limit, uh, could have uh, 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 Made a difference. Even in the five cases where raising the age limit might have uh, uh, conceivably had an impact, it's likely that the shooters could have illegally obtained a weapon just as many other attackers do. Prior to 1994, while some states had an age limit, there was no federal age requirement for buying a rifle. The only peer reviewed study on this uh, change was conducted by Thomas Marvel of the Journal of Law and Economics. He concluded, Where in 1994, laws seem to have had an impact, the suggestion is almost um, is almost that crime increases. Thus, there is no evidence that these bans had their intended uh, intended effect. In fact, Marvel found that the law was associated with a six percent increase in firearm homicides. Now, these questions and answers raise the profile of just how challenging it will be in our country, given the laws that exist and the suggestions of laws that be changed, uh, how we're going to actually have an impact on what may happen in the future. Now, John Lott concludes, so if the above ideas all have big problems, what can be done to more effectively protect children in school? And that's what everybody wants. Having more armed law enforcement officers and security guards in schools would be useful, but only if governments came up with additional money so that no other school programs are cut. Letting well-trained teachers and other school staff members carry concealed weapons if they wish uh, is a much less expensive alternative. There are currently 18 states that have at least some schools where staff and teachers carry. There have been no problems or increase in insurance premiums at the schools with armed staff members. From what I've seen in Utah, school insurance rates have not gone up because the guns uh, uh, were being allowed. A former president of the Utah Association of Independent Insurance Agency says, nor has a survey of other states shown an increase in insurance costs. Um, Armed school staff would be a final line of defense against school shooters. Importantly, they would also be a deterrent. They wouldn't stop every school shooting, but they would most certainly save lives. Here's the bottom line, he writes, again, quoting John Lott. We all want to save lives, but being well-meaning isn't enough. The media's one-sided coverage of the gun control debate gives the false impression that only one side cares about saving lives and that virtually everyone else, everyone agrees, rather, that the solution to gun violence is the strictest gun controls possible. Some have even a call for banning all guns and eliminating people's ability to defend their families and themselves that would be a truly radical and extremely unwise step the debate goes on whether we're talking about young people or adults uh, but let's hope that constructive conversation and real solutions are ultimately the outcome 31 minutes after four o'clock you're listening to the Georgine rice show
1: you're listening to the Georgine rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 kpdq
2: 34 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Matt Staver will join us in our next segment. He's the founder and chairman of Liberty Council. We'll talk about the proposed California bill that would censor counseling for adults, similar to. Uh, a law that was passed in the state of California uh, censoring the kind of counseling uh, underage uh, minors uh, can access. We'll talk with him about that coming up. Also, in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll talk with Todd Nettleton. He's a contributor to Wormbrand Brand Tortured for Christ, The Complete Story. It's published by The Voice of the Martyrs. There's also a movie uh, by the same name. We'll tell you more about that. And we'll talk with uh, Tammy Jada. She's an administrator with Northwest Heritage Academy and Blueberry House. We'll tell you what they are doing to provide great education opportunities for young people in our community. Well, there's some um, been, ed- uh, I should say, there's um, bipartisan gun legislation that's been introduced by Toomey and Coons. It would require federal authorities to alert states about failed background checks. These are two local U.S. senators. They're co-sponsoring legislation related to background checks for firearms purchases in the wake of another deadly school shooting and an ensuing national conversation about gun violence. Senators uh, Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania and Chris Coons of Delaware held a press conference today in Philadelphia. They announced their plan to introduce the NICS Denial Notification Act. The legislation would require federal authorities to alert state law enforcement when someone attempts to buy a gun but fails a background check. Under the law, state authorities would then decide whether to investigate, prosecute, or simply keep an eye on those individuals, according to a press release from Toomey's office. It would also require the Department of Justice to publish an annual report on the prosecutions of background check denial cases. The same bill was introduced in the U.S. House this past November by a bipartisan group of lawmakers, including Pennsylvania Republicans Patrick Meehan and Ryan Costello, according to WHYY's Dana DiFilippo Toomey believes President Trump will sign the bill into law if it gets enough support in the Senate. Meanwhile, President Trump wasn't uh, bluffing when he ordered $60 billion in tariffs on China in an apparent attempt to balance trade between nations, and he fully intends to impose the extra charge on imports. That's according to Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin on Sunday. We are going to proceed with our tariffs. We're working on that, he uh, told Fox News Sunday in an exclusive interview, while acknowledging the U.S. is also trying to reach a trade deal with China in which the country would reduce tariffs and further open its markets. We're simultaneously having negotiations with the Chinese to see if we can reach an agreement. He also said, as the president has said, we want to cut the trade deficit $100 billion over the next year. I'm cautiously hopeful we reach an agreement. But if not, we are proceeding with these tariffs. We are not putting them on hold. China has the second biggest economy after the United States in the world market. Mnuchin on Sunday also downplayed stock markets fluctuating sharply since at, uh, at least early March when Trump imposed tariffs. On imported steel and aluminum. I think what we are doing is long uh, long term good for the economy, he said. Uh, That is free and fair trade. Well, the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 700 points on Thursday on Trump's order to impose the tariffs on China for. Uh, purportedly intellectual property violations and China in turn vowing to impose at least $3 billion in tariffs on U.S. exports. There's a lot of uh, different things impacting the stock market, but I think the most important thing to focus on is the market will go up and down in the short term. The real important issue is where it will be in the long term and the market is still up an enormous amount since uh, my election or since the election, Mnuchin said. I don't expect to see a big impact on the economy, he added, amid concerns of a trade war, we've been very careful in how we're doing this and what we're doing. Meanwhile, the Dow recorded its biggest one-day point gain since 2008 today, as report uh, a report of talks between the United States and China reduced fears of a possible trade war, and this is apparently is uh, something of a bargaining chip. The Dow Jones Industrial Average uh, climbed 699.40 points, or 2.84 um, percent. The Nasdaq uh, uh, rose uh, 3.26. 6%, while the S&P 500 uh, rose 2.75 percent. The rally followed the worst week for uh, equities in more than two years, driven in part by investors concern about the U.S. tariffs targeting China. The president uh, announced on Thursday that he approved of a plan to impose those tariffs on about 50 billion in Chinese uh, goods. Also today, the president, or rather on Friday, the president officially authorized the ability of the Pentagon to ban transgender individuals from joining the military, with limited exceptions, following through on a pledge he made last year. Among other things, the policies set forth by the Secretary of Defense state that transgender persons with a history or diagnosis of gender dysphoria, individuals whose policies state may uh, require substantial medical treatment, including medications and surgery, are disqualified from military service except under certain limited circumstances, end quote. A memo released by the White House on Friday night said, Major David Eastburn, a Pentagon spokesman, said the announcement of a new policy would have no immediate practical effect on the military because the Pentagon is obliged to continue to recruit and retain transgender people in accordance with current law. The Department of Justice issued a statement defending the Pentagon. After comprehensive study and analysis, the Secretary of Defense concluded that new policies should be adopted regarding individuals with gender trans uh, dysphoria that are consistent with the military's effectiveness and lethality budgetary constraints and applicable law the statement read the departments of justice or uh, department singular will continue to defend the department of defense's lawful authority to create and um, and implement personnel uh, personnel policies they have determined are necessary to best defend our nation. Consistent with this new policy, we are asking the courts to lift all related preliminary injunctions in order to ensure the safety and security of the American people and the best fighting force in the world. Criticism, not surprisingly, came quickly from LGBT advocates and from leadership in the Democrat Party. There is simply no way to spin it. The Trump-Pence administration is going all all in on the discriminatory, unconstitutional, and despicable ban on transgender troops. The um, human rights campaign, President Chad Griffin wrote, uh, not surprisingly, this will be challenged and where it ends up, perhaps the courts uh, will ultimately decide. But the decision uh, has now been made uh, official by the administration. Well, the president today ordered the expulsion of 60 Russian intelligence uh, officials in the United States and the closure of the Russian consulate in Seattle in response to the nerve agent attack of an ex-Russian spy in the UK earlier this month, according to senior administration officials. The steps followed Britain's expulsion of Russian diplomats. They're meant to send a message to Moscow that actions have consequences, the official said. The Seattle consulate is being closed because of its proximity to submarines. Marine bases as well as Boeing. With these steps, the United States and our allies and partners make clear to Russia that its actions have consequences. The White House press secretary Sarah Sanders said, "The United States stands ready to cooperate to build a better relationship with Russia, but this can only happen with a change in the Russian government's behavior." Russia, which has been blamed for the attack, has denied wrongdoing. A Kremlin spokesman vowed to reciprocal uh, response over Monday's expulsion, according to Russian state-run media. Uh, Uh, The United States officials said a total of 60 Russians are being expelled, including 48 at the Russian embassy, 12 in the United Nations. The individuals and their families have been given seven days to leave the United States. Today, the United States began the process of expelling 12 intelligence operatives from the Russian mission to the United Nations who have uh, abused their privilege of residence in the United States. That's a quote from U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley today. After a review, we have determined that the 12 intelligence operatives engaged in espionage activities that that are adverse to our national security. The administration had said it was uh, considering a range of options in response to the March 4th poisoning of ex-Russian spy Sergei Skripal and his daughter. They were apparently poisoned with a Soviet produced military grade nerve agent and remain unconscious and in critical condition. At a summit in Brussels, the 28 EU leaders agreed with Britain that it is highly likely Russia is responsible for the attack on the, on the pair. Uh, Trump previously joined British Prime Minister Theresa May and the leaders of France and Germany in uh, condemning the poisoning. It is an assault on UK's, uh, the United Kingdom's sovereignty and any such use by a state uh, party is a clear violation of the Chemical Weapons Convention and a breach of international law. It threatens the security of us all, they said in a joint statement. They also wrote there is no plausible alternative explanation for the attack and that the Kremlin's failure to respond to a legitimate request for an explanation further underlies its responsibility. Well, Russia's, uh, Russia has fiercely denied any involvement in the poisoning, saying that it had destroyed its chemical weapons and had no motive to kill uh, these individuals who, uh, and one in particular, who was convicted of spying for Britain, by release, uh, but released, rather, in a 2010 a spy swap. Uh, the EU's position follows uh, May, sharing the group's uh, leader's information about why Britain is convinced Moscow was behind the attack, including the type of poison used, a Soviet-developed nerd a- nerve agent uh, known as Novchok, uh, uh, the intelligence that uh, Russia was had produced within the past decade. And uh, by the way, the announcement made here in the United States coordinated with other nations who did... Uh, something similar in their respective countries. Meanwhile, the Federal Trade Commission has an open investigation into Facebook's growing privacy scandal, it revealed today. The regulator's acting direct, acting director, Tom Paul, made the announcement in a statement which immediately sent uh, Facebook's share prices plunging. He also raised the prospect of a massive fine for Mark Zuckerberg's social network because it had entered into a consent decree in 2011 about the use of personal data, and any breach of that can be punished by a regulator. If the FTC finds Facebook violated terms of the consent decree, it has the power to fine the company thousands of dollars a day per violation, which could add up to billions of dollars. The move represents a huge blow to Facebook, which has been plunged into a crisis by the disclosure that Cambridge Analytica harvested the personal data of 50 million American users, which was then used by the Trump campaign before the 2016 election to micro-target advertising. Shares in Facebook fell from an opening a price of $160.82 to as low as $150.36 in the minutes after that announcement was made. The Monday morning move by the federal regulator is the most significant threat to Facebook to emerge out of this data harvesting scandal. The FTC has powers to fine, prosecute, and regulate Facebook in its home uh, here in the United States. Meanwhile, controversy uh, as it continues to swirl around how the consulting firm Cambridge Analytica obtained personal data from over 50 million Facebook users without their knowledge and used it to target ads to individuals in an effort to help Donald Trump be elected as president. Uh, But there's a more serious case of apparent misconduct involving Facebook data going to a different presidential campaign, this time in the 2012 campaign. In this case, which is um, getting far less attention, Facebook reportedly voluntarily provided data on millions of its users to the re-election campaign of uh, President Obama. So this goes beyond the 2016 election all the way back to 2012. If true, this action by Facebook may constitute a major violation of the federal campaign finance law as an illegal cooperation campaign contribution. Uh, The matter should be investigated by the Federal Election Commission as well as the FTC. And that, of course, is an ongoing speculation. 46 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show Podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the California LGBT Caucus recently introduced introduced a bill that would ban counselors from providing counseling and adults from receiving counsel regarding unwanted same-sex attraction, behavior, or gender confusion. AB 2943 would prevent so-called conversion therapy, known as sexual orientation change efforts, and add to the list of fraudulent schemes under the the state's Consumer Legal Remedies Act. Well, they've already prohibited this kind of uh, counsel involving minors, even with parental consent. Well, AB 2943, it's been assigned to the Assembly Committee on Privacy and Consumer Protection, and the bill is set for committee hearing on April the 3rd. Here to talk with us about what this means and what it could mean outside of uh, California long term, Matt Staver is the founder and chairman of Liberty Council. Thank you so much for joining us today.
3: Thank you. My pleasure to be with you.
2: Now, this really is quite extraordinary that they are suggesting that adults should not be, uh, be able to avail themselves of counseling that, um, that they're pursuing when they struggle with uh, same unwanted same-sex attraction. How did we get from minors being prohibited from this kind of uh, counsel uh, to adults?
3: Well, we knew this was coming. Remember, California was the first state to pass this ban on providing any kind of change efforts to clients, particularly minors, that are seeking to get counsel to resolve unwanted same-sex attractions, behavior identity. And this is where it started. And so if the premise is that it's harmful in their mind, and of course it's not, And there's lots of information to show its benefits, then if you're going to ban it to minors of licensed counselors, then the next step is to ban it to adults with licensed counselors. And then the next step is to ban it to everyone regarding whether that person is licensed or not. In fact, there was just recently a person that spoke at Google's headquarters and said that the real goal of all of these is to stop it across the board, including having pastoral counseling mm-hmm. in your churches. So that's where it started. So this is moving forward. This is much broader because now it, it applies it to adults. And it also prohibits advertising, offering to engage in this kind of counsel or actually engaging in this kind of counsel that your client personally seeks. An adult person seeks a counselor, wants this kind of counsel, benefits from this kind of counsel, this kind of counsel helps the client. But under California, if this passes, that will be a violation of the ethical rules and require the counselor to be disciplined and lose their license.
2: Now, the so-called conversion therapy that's known in California as sexual orientation change efforts, that's at the heart of this. And I I know that in efforts that were related to young people, uh, there was an exaggeration or a mischaracterization of what this kind of counseling can represent. I think most people would agree that certain kinds of therapy uh, should not be permitted. But this kind of counsel that they're talking about, just define and describe what that is.
3: Well, they use the term conversion therapy, and they try to bring up old, outdated, 30-plus years ago type of uh, treatment that people have done, electroshock and things like that. But they did electroshock and other kinds of counseling as well. None of that is practice anymore. Mm -hmm. None of the clients that we represent practice that. That's something long in the past. But they try to conjure this up as this is what's happening. What's actually happening is not even conversion Uh, there's not an attempt by the counselor to convert someone this is just talk therapy you go into a private session with a counselor you talk about issues that affect you issues that stress you and how you want to overcome and deal with those issues and it's literally a talk session with your counselor who's trying to help you as a client reach your intended position in fact It's already unethical for a counselor to try to force a client to go in a particular direction that the client does not want to go. So what we have here are clients voluntarily wanting to achieve a certain direction and objective, seeking a counselor that can help them get there. And the state of California says, no, that would be unethical for that to happen.
2: Now, one of the concerns are victims of sexual abuse, they can no longer, under this law, if it were to pass, they can no longer get the counseling they need if they develop, as a result of their abuse, unwanted urges to engage in same-sex behavior or become gender confused.
3: That's exactly right, and this often happens, particularly, say, if a young boy is abused by another male or uh, even a, a girl being abused by a female or even a male they often develop these unwanted attractions. So sometimes a young boy being dominated by uh, another male uh, begins to develop these unwanted desires and desires to abuse or dominate someone else in the way that he was dominated by an older adult male. And they come to a counselor seeking to resolve that. They don't consider themselves gay. They haven't acted on any of these feelings, but they're having this anger inside in these desires and these tensions. Uh, so this kind of person would never be able to get this kind of counsel. In fact, we've actually had clients in California, we have them in other places as well, where they have gone through this gender confusion. They begin to hate themselves. They begin to uh, do destructive things, and then they seek a counselor like this, a Christian counselor or someone who's experienced and they resolve those tensions, and those tensions are no longer uh, struggling with them anymore, and they're able to achieve their goal to not act on or to uh, eliminate uh, these kinds of tensions or these kinds of behavior like same-sex attractions and behavior. But under this particular rule, under this law, that kind of counseling would have to stop, and the counselor would not be able to provide that literally life-saving counsel anymore. Mm.
2: Is it an overstatement to say that AB ninety, uh, rather 2943 would make it unlawful uh, to sell books, uh, counseling services, or anything else that directs people to trust Jesus Christ to help them overcome unwanted same-sex attraction or no, gender exactly, confusion? Exactly,
3: You're exactly right. It would actually, someone having a book saying that Jesus Christ ultimately, in fact, if, if some of our counselors have actually gone through this, Where Jesus, they encounter Jesus and they have come out of the same-sex lifestyle, and they are now licensed counselors. They couldn't share their story in a book and offer others the same kind of hope in Jesus that they, in fact, have experienced themselves under this law. That would be unethical, and they could lose their license.
2: Just uh, absolutely extraordinary. It seems to me this is ideologically driven. Uh, Are they pointing to any scientific justification for this effort, or is this just an ideological pressure to move the state in a particular direction?
3: Well, there's no question that it's ideological, but some of these counseling organizations have been captured by this ideological political forced a movement uh, there is no there is no scientific information that says this is harmful in fact there's a lot of information that says that it's beneficial and we represent lots of different people who have gone through this kind of counseling who have encountered Jesus Christ and have changed dramatically in their lifestyle even one person who was born male went through this surgical procedure, plastic surgery, hormones, to be uh, presented as female, encounter Jesus Christ, and then try to go back the other way to repair some of the surgical damage. And he's now married, happily so, and redeemed by Jesus Christ. This kind of person is a living example of why this kind of counsel is necessary.
2: And while their voices are not often heard, there are many, many examples that would fit that profile and and others. What's the prospect of California AB 2943 successfully making its way to the governor's desk?
3: Well, I certainly wouldn't discount it because this is the first state that did the other ban on minors, and now it's moving its way through. I anticipate that California will likely pass this. We are standing ready to file a suit immediately. And I wouldn't say, oh, that's California. Remember, California started this on the minors, and now that's spreading around the country. So if California passes this as the first state to do this, this kind of ban also has the high prospect that it will spread around the country, both in the state level and now what we're seeing at the local city and county level.
2: Mm. Well, we will certainly continue to follow this story, and I appreciate the work that you're doing, and I'm certain we'll have a future conversation on where this is going.
3: Thank you. My pleasure to be with you. Thank
2: you so much. Again, uh, Matt Staver is the founder and chairman of Liberty Council on the California bill that would censor counseling. Uh, People have the right to seek the counsel of of their choice, particularly when they're adults. But this bill would substitute the government for personal choice, and the implications are staggering. The results uh, could be. Um, extremely harmful. We'll continue to follow that story. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic up next. And when we return, we'll talk with Todd Nettleton. He's the contributor to Worm Brand Tortured for Christ, the complete story.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on ninety-three point nine KPDQ.
2: Well, good afternoon, and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Brought to you in part today by Zero Res. On February 29th, 1948, Richard Wormbrand was arrested by the secret police. His crimes—leading Christian worship and witnessing—both of which were illegal under Romania's atheistic communist regime. Richard spent 14 years in prison. He was tortured, beaten, locked in a prison and solitary confinement cell. His wife, Sabina, spent three years in prison, nearly freezing to death as she and other prisoners were forced to work on the Danube Canal. She was repeatedly told that her husband had died behind bars. Both Richard and Sabina were branded had an unshakable faith in Christ. Neither of them gave up hope. They continued daily to talk, with, uh, talk about Jesus. They emerged from years in prison, not with a melancholy, bitter spirit, but with a joyful story of victorious faith. How was that possible? Well, now for the first time, both sides of this amazing story or stories are told in one book, Wormbrand, Tortured for Christ, The Complete Story. It's published by The Voice of the Martyrs, and it tells the full story of both Richard and Sabina Wormbrand, using stories and research from bestsellers The Pastor's Wife and God's Underground and Tortured for Christ, as well as The Voice of the Martyrs archives. Your faith will be inspired as you go inside the darkest prison cells to see how the light of Christ continues to shine from the hearts of those totally committed to him. My guest is Todd Nettleton. He is a contributor to the book Wormbrand Tortured for Christ: The Complete Story. I am so delighted to have you with us. Thank you for uh, for joining us today.
4: You are very welcome. Thanks for having me.
2: Well, this is a story that some of us may think we know, but this is the first complete telling of the story in the context of this wonderful, amazing couple that managed to survive persecution, and the two of them with their faith intact and their their love story intact as well.
4: It is, and really, in order to know the full story before this new book came out, you really had to read three different books. You, you mentioned Torture mm-hmm. for Christ by Richard Wormbrand. He also wrote a book called In God's Underground that kind of told his story in more detail. And then Sabina told her story in a book called The Pastor's Wife. So this new book, for the first time, tells both Richard and Sabina's story in the same book, and it's a powerful story. It's a story that people are going to read, and I think almost on every page I found myself saying, okay, what would I do in that situation? What would I do if the government said it's illegal to go to church? What would I do if the government said you you can't have Bible studies anymore? You can't meet with other Christians in your home. What would I do? And I think that's a great question for us as Christians to ask. Uh, because then we have to pray about it and say, Lord, help
2: me to do the right thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me, whenever I've spoken to those who are, have been or are being persecuted for their faith, the one thing they ask us to pray about is that they would have the strength uh, and the, the ability to remain faithful. That's been an important um, uh, prayer for them to endure. Now, why do you think it's important for us today to reflect on their story that occurred many years, uh, uh, many years ago?
4: because we're facing challenges, and, and Christians around the world are still facing the same challenges that Richard and Sabina faced, uh, but even here in the United States, you know, we're, we're seeing Christianity become more marginalized. We're mm-hmm. seeing it become less dominant in our culture, and even seeing some places where people are, you know, being told, hey, you can't have a business if you won't do this, if you won't do what culture expects, and you say you're following biblical principles, well, If you're going to do that, you can't have your business anymore. Sorry, we're just not going to let you function. So we're actually starting to see people in America face this question of, am I going to follow what God's called me to do? Am I going to follow what the Bible says I'm supposed to do? Or am I going to follow what the society says or what the government says I'm supposed to do? Those are the same questions Richard and Sabina asked, and they answered them very well and very powerfully. And so we can learn from their example.
2: We're talking with Todd Nettleton. He's the chief of media relations and message integration for The Voice of the Martyrs and the host of The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. He served as a voice of persecuted Christians, working with the media to tell people here in the U.S. about the faithfulness of Christ's followers in 60-plus nations where they face persecution. Among those that you have spoken to who have faced and are facing persecution, is there a common thread that you find uh, that runs through their ability to remain faithful under the the most difficult and challenging of circumstances? Uh,
4: you know, the, the most common thread is the fact that they counted the cost ahead of time. Uh, they didn't wait until the police came knocking on the door to decide, okay, you know, if the police come, should I do this, should I do that? They had already thought through, okay, you know, this is what's going to happen. If it happens, if I'm held to this, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand strong in my faith. I'm going to continue to follow Christ. And so when that point comes where there is the knock on the door or there is the gun in the face, they've already decided, okay, this is how I'm going to respond to this. And so that's one of the consistent things that we see in those who are victorious in that situation. The other thing, common thread that I would point to is a sense of joy, Uh, it's easy to think about people who go through things like the Wyrmbrads did. You know, Richard was in prison for 14 years. He was in solitary confinement for three years. Mm. We meet people like that, and you think in your mind, you picture somebody who is just really depressed and downtrodden, and, and they just probably are barely hanging on to their sanity. When you go and sit down with them, they have the joy of the Lord, and they're excited, and they want to tell you. And, you know, the Bible talks about being counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ was an honor. The disciples were like, wow, this is such an honor for us to be able to suffer for Christ. That's the same attitude that we see in persecuted Christians today. And I think it's sort of counterintuitive. You, as an American, I didn't expect that, mm-hmm. but that's the reality. They have a great sense of joy of the Lord.
2: Mm. Now, as I mentioned, uh, the book that we're talking about, Wormbrand, Tortured for Christ, the complete story is a compilation that tells the whole story of both um, Mr. Wormbrand and his wife. Uh, the Voice of the Martyrs has been um, the outgrowth of that, that testimony and that ministry. There's also a movie based on Tortured for Christ being released. Tell us a little bit about Voice of the Martyrs and the book and, and movie telling this uh, poignant and timely story.
4: Well, as you say, the Voice of the Martyrs was founded by Pastor Richard and Sabina Warmbrand. They, uh, after being released from prison in Romania, they were actually ransomed out of the country and came to the West. Uh, before they left Romania, the secret police took them aside, uh, basically said, Pastor Wormbrand, you're going to the West. You can preach all you want. You can talk about the Bible all you want. You can talk about God all you want. But don't talk about what we did to you. Don't talk about the torture. Don't talk about the prisons. Don't talk about solitary confinement. Richard came to the West and did exactly what they told him not to do. He shared about those horrible tortures that he had endured, and he pointed to the pastors and the other Christians who were still in those communist prisons. The Voice of the Martyrs was founded when people heard that story and heard about those pastors, and they said, we want to help those guys. How do we do that? That really was how the Voice of the Martyrs was founded, was simply to be a bridge between Christians in the United States and Christians in hostile and restricted nations. The film, Tortured for Christ, is available. It is in theaters. We actually had a big screening in March. They are now scheduling, I believe, somewhere between two and 300 more theater screenings in April. Uh, TorturedforChrist.com is the website. You can find the closest one to you. You can actually request one. If you want to show the film at your church or at another setting, there's a form on the website to go ahead and request that. But it is it is a film telling of the story of Richard and Sabina Warmbrand and it was shot in Romania with Romanian actors and actresses. Uh, they I actually was there 2 weeks ago. We did a screening for the cast and crew that worked on the film and They were so proud. Richard and Sabina are really seen as kind of a national hero in Romania. And so for these Romanian actors to have been a part of telling the story of this Romanian national hero it was very meaningful to them to have been a part of the film.
2: Now we're going to take a quick break, but we will continue our conversation. Again, we're talking about the book, Wormbrand, Tortured for Christ, The Complete Story. It's published by The Voice of the Martyrs, and it tells the story of uh, this amazing couple who were tortured for Christ. Quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Liberty Coin and Currency. Today we're talking about the book "Wormbrand: Tortured for Christ: The Complete Story," and this tells the story of this amazing couple how they endured uh, severe torture in uh, Romania. And uh, as was mentioned a moment ago uh, by my guest, they managed to do so with joy. Todd Nettleman, uh, Nettleton is my uh, guest. He's the chief of media relations and message integration for the Voice of the martyrs. Um, as you mentioned a moment ago, the brands couldn't be silenced about their faith, no matter what they endured, and they endured what most of us cannot even imagine. How should we as Christians here in the 21st century follow in their footsteps?
4: Well, I think firstly, we have to make the decision, the same decision that they made, uh, to speak out, to speak out for our faith, to speak out for what the Bible says, now, one of the really pivotal scenes in the book and in the movie is a thing called the Congress of the Colts. And uh, the, the communists organized this Congress of the cults. They invited all of the religious leaders from the whole country of Romania to come together. Uh, Joseph Stalin was the honorary chair of this august gathering. And basically, it was a pro- propaganda event to show, look, you know, Christians and communists, we really have a lot in common. We, we can work together. We don't have to be enemies here. You know, we, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And so this is going on. Richard and Sabina were sitting in the audience, and uh, Sabina looked at Richard and said, uh, someone needs to go up and wipe this shame from the face of Christ. And Richard looked back at her and said, now you understand if I do that, you will no longer have a husband. And Sabina said, I don't wish to have a coward for a husband. Hmm. And so Richard stood up and he went to the platform and the communists were very excited. He was a well-known pastor. He was a a member of the World Council of Churches. He was the Romanian representative of that. And so they thought, oh, this is great. Here's this well-known guy. He's going to stand and say good things about communism. Richard took the microphone and said, listen, friends, Our first loyalty is is not to any government or any party or any political philosophy. Our first loyalty has to be to Jesus Christ. It has to be to what the Scriptures say. And from that moment on, it was simply a matter of time until he would go to prison. He knew that by doing that, he had painted a target on his back. But the example there is for us today as well. We must stand up when all the world says compromise— we must stand up and say, no, this is what the Bible says. Uh, And we have to be willing to suffer the consequences of that. Richard and Sabina knew there would be consequences, and yet they marched forward and did what was right. We as Christians in America in 2018, we need to make that same decision. Yes, yes, there are going to be consequences, but I am going to stand up. I am going to do what's right.
2: Now, we talked earlier about the, the resolve of believers to to do what's right in the face of the kind of challenge that would precede persecution what do you think uh, allowed both uh, richard and sabina to stay so strong in their faith despite everything that they went through it's one thing to resolve in the beginning but how did they maintain that uh, that strong conviction throughout their ordeal and come out the other side with such uh, joy and uh, and peace
4: You know, I think that is a great question, and I I wish in some ways I wish they were still alive to answer that. But there's a couple things I would point to. One is they both knew what Christ had saved them from. Uh, They came out of a life uh, of—they were both raised in Jewish families, but by their 20s they basically had become atheists. They decided, you know what, there is no God. We're just going to live for today. We're going to live for fun and party and have a good time. And so then Christ saved them out of that. So I think they felt a great sense of obligation that look at what Christ has done for us. We owe him everything. If if it costs us our lives, well, that's a small price compared to what he has done for us. The other thing is they, they really tuned into who God was and and that closeness of relationship. And uh Richard talks about you know being in solitary confinement for 3 years and at different periods they would give him drugs in his food to to brainwash him and to drive him mad and they had a loudspeaker uh, on on in his cell 24 hours a day communism is good communism is good christianity is stupid christianity is stupid and and he talks about in that cell he you know he would try to recite the lord's prayer uh, and, and, you know, he at first he could do the whole thing, and then he started to lose parts of the Lord's Prayer. And, and then he got down to the point where all he had left was our Father. And mm-hmm. he would just repeat that over and over again, our Father, our Father, my Father, my Father, and and just cry out to God in, his, in the midst of his suffering. And he writes in some of his books about how Jesus was with him, how close the sense of God's presence was. And I think that is really what sustained both him and Sabina through all of the things they went through, was just the closeness of God and the sense of of His presence right there with them. Every moment, in every situation, in every hardship and suffering, God was with them, and they knew that, and that empowered them to keep going on.
2: Christianity is accepted or maybe tolerated in the United States today. How many countries still persecute those who practice Christianity?
4: Voice of the Martyrs is working in 68 different countries where Christians are are persecuted regularly. And uh, we look at that actually every fall. We we look at that. We issue a prayer map every January. Uh, But right now, 68 countries where Christians are persecuted.
2: Sixty-eight. That's uh, that's amazing. How can American Christians get involved in fellowship with today's persecuted believers? Because I think we oftentimes don't see how that we can connect, encourage, or somehow relate to them.
4: Well, I, I love, you mentioned earlier, the the first request of our persecuted family is to pray for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, as you said, it's not pray that, that we won't suffer anymore, pray that our persecution will stop. It is pray that we will be faithful in spite of persecution, in spite of suffering. So uh, the, the thing I always tell people when they ask that question, okay, I want to do something, I want to get involved. How do I do that? Okay, number one is pray. And again it's not that's not me saying that that's our persecuted brothers and sisters that's yes. their number one request pray and then the second step I think is to educate yourself uh, and it's it's not so you'll be smarter it's so you can pray more effectively uh, because it's easy to say god bless the persecuted church uh, but it's easy not to say that as well it's easy to forget to say that but when it's a person it's a name it's pastor lee in china and you've got his picture on your refrigerator then it's very easy to say, God, bless Pastor Lee and his family, and I know his wife's name and his children's names. Bless them and encourage them while he's in prison. That becomes very personal. So number one, pray. Number two, educate yourself so that you can pray more effectively. And uh, Voice of the Martyrs sends out a free monthly newsletter every month to help people educate themselves. We have resources to help you do that. So pray and then educate yourself so you can pray more effectively. And then I say number three is whatever God lays on your heart, because as you're praying and as you're learning more, God's going to open some doorways, and he's going to say, hey, I want you to send Bibles. I want you to write letters to Christians who are in prison. I want you to get a prayer group together at your church to pray weekly for persecuted Christians. Or maybe he's going to say, I want you to get on an airplane with a suitcase full of Bibles, and I want you to go to country X. All that can happen. But it starts out when we pray and we learn more so we can pray better. And then God opens doors, and then we have to make the decision to obey or not obey.
2: Now, Jesus himself said that we would uh, experience uh, opposition, persecution, tribulation, whatever words you want to use. We shouldn't be surprised by that. And that will be a part of uh, being a follower of Christ until he returns. Is that not what we should expect? (laughs)
4: <laughs> that, you don't hear that preached very often, no. right? but yes, he, he did. You know, Jesus said, the world hates me. And if you follow me, the world is going to hate you too. Uh, and we in America, we don't experience that very often. And in fact, when the world hates us, we are shocked and appalled that they could be so, uh, you know, un- understanding and so uncharitable towards us. That is exactly what Christ said was going to happen. And, and so, we should not be surprised. In fact, we should be ready. We should understand. And one of the things I love and admire about people in hostile and restricted nations is when they come to Christ, they know that's going to happen. Uh, So when, you know, persecution, and oftentimes it starts with their own family members. When persecution happens, they're not like, oh my, I can't believe this is happening. They're like, oh yeah, exactly. I, I knew this was coming. Uh, And it's such a different mindset Mm -hmm. from what we have, and we really could learn and be encouraged and inspired by that mindset that, of course, you're going to have hardships. Of course, you're going to have challenges. That's where your faith is really tested and proved. Yeah.
2: Thank you so much for the book and your contribution to it and for taking the time to be with us today.
4: You are so welcome.
2: Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. And let me encourage you to check out the uh, the film. That's a, another great way to catch the, the story in its entirety. Again, the book we're talking about, Wormbrand, Tortured for Christ, The Complete Story. Published by The Voice of the Martyrs, or com if you'd like to look them up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk with uh, Tammy Jada. She's an administrator at Northwest Heritage Academy and Blueberry House Tutoring. We'll be back.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast, it's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We are continuing to shine a bright light on some of the marvelous Christian schools in our community, and today we're going to continue with Northwest Heritage Academy and Blueberry House Tutoring. Here to talk with us about that is Tammy Jada. She's an administrator at Northwest Heritage Academy and Blueberry um, House. Thank you so much for being with us today. Yes, it's a pleasure. Now, I know that you have been an educator, and you found, as many parents today have found, a little bit of frustration with their child's education um, because they don't necessarily fit into the rigid programs that I suppose are necessary in that kind of an institution, and they're not meeting their child's needs. Talk a little bit about how you started with Blueberry House Tutoring and how that grew into Northwest Heritage Academy.
5: Yes. Blueberry House Tutoring was started at my kitchen table, and it was in response to many parents asking for, you know, tutoring for their children when they discovered that I had pulled my own daughter um, out of the public school uh, that she was currently in and uh, started homeschooling her and tutoring her um, here at the house. And so the parents found out about that and they really wanted the same thing for their children. And the reason I, I pulled her out of school was Um, that she was going to go right into grade and she did not know how to read yet. Mm. And so I saw that there was a huge need um, for this. I saw other students in her class who were in the same situation. So I started homeschooling her. and Within two years, I had her up to grade level where she was supposed to be. And in that process, my home became filled with students. And I finally uh, decided I'd better just open up a day school for these kids. And that's how we ended up with Northwest Heritage Academy.
2: Well, it really is a marvelous story. And one of the things I appreciate that you say at uh, Northwest Heritage and at Blueberry House Tutoring is that every child is unique. So a cookie cutter in education just doesn't fit many children uh, in our um, in our system. Now, um you uh, have a kind of a unique program let 's talk a little bit about northwest heritage academy uh, it 's not an education factory, but talk a little bit about how uh, all kinds of children are accepted, and the program is tailored to each child's individual needs
5: yeah it 's actually not a very easy model to explain uh, because it is so different and it 's really not found in mm-hmm. any other uh, school around here. So what happens with a student when they come into Our program, we, um, and this is Northwest Heritage Academy, the day program, we take that student and evaluate where they are in every class, not just where they are chronologically. We don't just stick them in because they are, you know, seven years old and supposed to be in second grade. We figure out what they're able to do. And we have been um, very successful in taking children that say, say they're like fifth grade, if they're in second grade spelling, they will get second grade spelling in their classroom with their peers. But if they're able to do pre-algebra, they will get pre-algebra in the classroom. So we make sure that they're getting what they need, whether they're advanced or whether, you know, they're behind. And that is, and we level every class, and that is where um, we are really different than um, the average school. Oh, absolutely.
2: Every student one-on-one. It's yeah. just a whole different model. Well, and I appreciate that you accept all types of children uh, with learning difficulties like ADHD or dyslexia, or if they're mm-hmm. itching to accelerate their education, you take, as you just described, both ends of that continuum. And that is very unique, not only in our community, but virtually anywhere.
5: Yes, yes, it is. And the children um, we take are our, our kids who. Are falling through um, the gap, um, be it whether, whether they are uh, slower, ADHD, or whatever, or whether they're advanced. Yeah. And advanced students are, you know, really struggling too because they have, you know, behavior problems because they're bored. And then we also take those just your normal run-of-the-mill kids who are just going right in at grade level, and parents are just seeking a smaller school, smaller classrooms and quality education for those kids. So we take them on, on all levels. There's a net there to catch every student, no matter what they're working at and where they're at in the process of academics.
2: We're talking about Northwest Heritage Academy, which is a K-12 school, and Blueberry House Tutoring, LLC, which provides opportunities for uh, students with tutoring. Now, what role does faith play in your academic model, whether that's in tutoring or at Northwest Heritage Academy? In the tutoring, um, it does not play in at all because in tutoring,
5: um, after school tutoring, we take children in from the entire uh, metro area, mm-hmm. and some of that is done in libraries and you know coffee shops are all over. So that is helping them with whatever school that they are currently attending. At Northwest Heritage, um, between the hours of nine to three fifteen, we are definitely a faith-based program, and we um, but we are not affiliated with any. Denomination. Uh, we are an LLC, so it's a private school, but it's not. It's non-denominational, but we definitely teach Bible concepts, Bible principles. We just don't teach a specific doctrine.
2: Now, I know that uh, from your website that you write that everything we do is driven by our desire to love the student by serving them like Jesus modeled in the New Testament. We take the responsibility to develop godly character in our students very seriously and do our best to model it through our actions, words, and program. Tell me a bit about the, uh, uh, the staff at Northwest Heritage Academy that work with these young people, where the ratio of student to teacher uh, makes uh, it possible for students to thrive.
5: Yes, the staff is, um, they're really uh, teachers who have, they all have their degrees, but what they've done is decided that they can make a bigger difference at Northwest Heritage than they can um, in the local schools, and because of that low teacher-student ratio, and so they have a teacher's heart and a heart for ministry with these students, and they're there because they have that heart for the child and really want to see changes both spiritually, academically, and in just, um, you know, character and helping them uh, work one-on-one with them and knowing that through that process of one-on-one, each child will be able to attain whatever level of academics or um, character, whatever it is that they can get the best of it because of that one-on-one. So the staff is a mixture of, uh, teachers who have quit at the public school and also graduates from Bible colleges and um, and just the people, but no matter where they come from, they have to have a heart for ministry with these kids or they they do not work at Northwest Heritage <laughs> Academy. Our goal is to take this and take these kids as a ministry so that everything we do is empowered by God working through us. It's not for us just to go in there to get, you know, fame or fortune. It's definitely um, something that we feel called to do. It's our calling and it has to be the calling of everyone that gets hired at Northwest Heritage.
2: Mm. We're talking about Northwest Heritage Academy and Blueberry House Tutoring in, uh, in Milwaukee. One of the uh, things that they write on the website is, our approach is founded on the audacious assumption that every student is valuable and capable of growth if the educator creates the right environment and tailors their plans toward each student's strengths and weaknesses. Now, if parents are interested in learning more about Northwest Heritage Academy or could benefit uh, from Blueberry House Tutoring, what's the best way for them to find out more and to communicate? NWHAoffice at gmail.com
5: is where they would email. That's the one that would get to me Okay. Or they could call 503 481 4884.
2: And again, that number is 503 481 4884. Again, Northwest Heritage Academy, Blueberry House Tutoring LLC as well. And by the way, we have been talking about our listener savings. There is a, a certificate for one year tuition discount at Northwest Heritage Academy. I would encourage you to go to listenersavings.com for more information on that. Uh, you might find it more affordable than you thought to get your child a great education wherever they happen to fall on the spectrum of learning. Let me just say um, how much I appreciate your commitment to education. It began with your daughter, but you had an open heart. You extended that to other families whose sons and daughters were struggling. The tutoring began, and it's developed into uh, Northwest Heritage Academy, and you're making an impact on our, uh, on our community and our culture, and I appreciate that dedication that you and others at Northwest Heritage bring, and I know it's making a difference. Thank you so much. Yes, and thank you. God bless. Bye bye. Again, Northwest Heritage Academy.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey,
2: we're back for the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, today is, of course, Holy Week, and many of us worshiped and uh, acknowledged Palm Sunday. And it's a, always a glorious day. If you don't think too far in advance, it's a glorious day to recognize it for a few moments as Jesus entered into the city on the back of a colt, a donkey, that he was recognized as the king, and the palm branches were waved. And then you think about what happened the days that followed. And it's a very sobering, somber time, and it's good for us to reflect on those events on this Holy Week, and we're looking forward to making our way through Monday, Thursday into Good Friday, and then uh, celebrating on Resurrection Sunday, because everything pointed to that. Christmas, which we celebrated just months ago, it all points to this occasion, the greatest story ever told, the greatest event in human history that changed everything for everybody. So excited about this being Holy Week. Uh, I stumbled on a story that may be familiar to you, but I'm always excited to hear the names of public figures whose lives uh, certainly did not reflect a Christian worldview, but who have come to faith in Christ and acknowledge that they are uh, following Him and that their sins have been forgiven by Him. And it puts into context what we celebrate this week, because for all of us, those of us who are followers of Christ, we recognize that we have not done one thing to merit His favor. Not one thing. Even breathing was something that he graciously granted to us before we acknowledged and certainly uh, followed him but it is because of what Christ did on our behalf that we've been reconciled to the Father. So I'm always thrilled to read about uh, public individuals whose lives were really quite contrary to the gospel message. You know, something like the Apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus. Anyway, Alice Cooper had a major wake-up call nearly 40 years ago. Maybe this is a familiar story to you, but it isn't to me. Uh, But 40 years ago, he had something of a wake-up call. He found himself uh, throwing up blood, which is always a serious wake-up call, whether or not you make the right um, decisions following that uh, that kind of an alarm, everything that could go wrong, he said, was uh, was shutting down inside of me. He was preparing to um, reprise his role as King Herod in NBC's live version of Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, and he was speaking to the New York Daily News Confidential. Well, the uh, the rocker who saw his good friends and fellow musicians die young knew that he needed to clean up his act. He said, "I was drinking with Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix and trying to keep up with Keith Moon, and they all died at." 27, he recalled. Well, the legendary rocker says it, um, it was uh, at that moment that he knew he either had to give up drinking or he would die too. It was then that, uh, that Cooper turned to his faith. Now, you might be surprised to learn a bit of his background, but I suppose we shouldn't be surprised. He says, my wife and I are both Christian. The 70-year-old said, my father was a pastor, my grandfather was an evangelist, I grew up in the church, went as far away as I could from it, almost died, and then came back to the church. Now, for every parent and grandparent that's praying for a prodigal son, daughter, grandchild, I want you to hear his testimony and take it to heart, because he went as far away Uh, from Christianity as he possibly could. His father was a pastor. His grandfather was an evangelist. So he knew the way. And in fact, he returned to it. When his life came to a crossroads, he returned to what he knew. And if you're training up your children in the way that they should go, they'll have all the necessary tools they need and to know where to go when... um, when they decide to turn around. Anyway, Cooper acknowledges that a lot of people don't understand how he can be a rock musician but still be a Christian. He says there's nothing in Christianity that says I can't be a rock star. He explains people have a very warped view of Christianity. They think it's all very precise and we never do wrong and uh, we're praying all day long and we're right wing. It has nothing to do with that, he says, and rightly points out it has to do with a one-on-one relationship With Jesus Christ. It's thrilling to me because he gets it. Alice Cooper gets it. Well, Cooper, who first played the role of King Herod in 1996 in the London revival of Jesus Christ Superstar, which is kind of funny because I broke into song as Dan Rice and I were driving into work today. Um, One of the songs in Jesus Christ Superstar, I hadn't thought about that uh, play in probably a decade. Anyway, he spoke about uh, being a part of the upcoming live version starring John Legend. Uh, He revealed that his inspiration for the role comes from Alan Rickman's portrayal of Professor Snape in... Uh, Harry Potter. I'm not that familiar with Harry Potter, so that's not very meaningful to me, but it might be to some of you. He went on to say, when I first heard about it, I thought of Alan Rickman, that condescending sort of arrogant character, and I kind of fashioned what I would do after what I thought Alan Rickman would do if he were alive, he said. Well, Fox News also caught up with uh, Alice Cooper, uh, with the godfather of Shock Rock last year, when he told them that he and his wife, Cheryl Goodard, had been faithful to each other over the course of their 41-year marriage. So this guys he's a shock, all right, because, you know, he is the guy who, wasn't he supposed to have bitten the heads off live chickens on stage? Is that Ozzy Osbourne? Anyway, he was uh, one of these, the bad boys of rock and roll, although I'm not sure there are any Good boys of rock and roll. Anyway, he says that he and his wife have been faithful to one another for 41 years. That's uh, rather surprising for a rock star. That's uh, very uncommon. He said, you know what? We have never cheated on each other. First of all, marry the girl you're in love with. That's the important thing. Don't marry the girl that you love. I'm not quite sure what the distinction is, but they've been at it for 41 years, uh, faithfully married to one another. And that's always And encouragement. So, anyway, uh, in light of Holy Week and what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday, I thought I would just mention the testimony of Alice Cooper, who was raised by a a father who was a pastor, a grandfather who was an evangelist. He grew up in the church, uh, went as far away from it. This is his own profession. I went as far away from it as I could. He almost died, much like the prodigal, and then returned to what he knew. He was. Brought up in the way that he should go, he knew where to come back to. So I wanted to uh, mention his testimony. Taking a look at this short week for me on Tuesday, we're going to talk with Mo Isom. The book is titled Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church. Forgot. Now, it doesn't uh, cover quite what you might imagine by that title. We're talking about male and female he created them. What does Jesus say and does it matter to him? And the conversations that we haven't had in the church, I suppose part of it has to do with the fact that most in the church would never have imagined that we would be debating what um, boy and girl actually means, whether or not one's biology and physiology is relevant to one's gender. Uh, So in some sense, perhaps we were naive and didn't anticipate, as I think most people would never have anticipated where we find ourselves uh, today. Nonetheless, we're going to talk with um, uh, Mo Isom about the book Sex, Jesus and the Conversations the Church Forgot, but has to resume or start uh, in earnest uh, if we're going to. Uh, be able to speak to the culture. On Wednesday, we'll talk with William Martin, a prophet with honor, the Billy Graham story. It's been updated. Of course, he passed away a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to take a final look at the life and legacy of uh, Billy Graham, a prophet with honor. Uh, That's coming up on Wednesday. On Thursday, I'm taking the day uh, as I uh, have been given the day on Friday, Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. I'm looking forward to worshiping at several uh, churches and i 've been given the opportunity to do a little singing, so i 'm so looking forward to that because you uh, as you 're celebrating and thinking about the events of Holy Week, I, you sometimes just feel like you 're just going to burst, and if I can sing and express what 's in my heart um, i 'm going to make it through this season uh, with great joy and sorrow um, because the uh, the cross. Um, leads up to resurrection, but you have to go through the cross to get there. So, anyway, that's what's coming up this week, and I hope you will plan to be with us. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show now concluded. Want to thank Clark Hilton for engineering today's program, James Blind for producing, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day.
1: Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook.